Please move your chairs. Well, you're all facing me anyways. <laughs> I speak in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, a distant cousin of mine named Edward was a kind of black sheep of the family. But he was a man of enormous endurance and strength. And man, could he hold his drink. As he reached 20 years old, his parents persuaded him to join Britain's Parachute Regiment. Known for the brutality of its training, its tenaciousness in combat, and for the number of times its soldiers were arrested when off duty. Usually for drunken violence. Edward excelled as a soldier both in training, on operations, and in the bars around his barracks. He could drink every one of his comrades off the table. He could run miles with a full pack while others fell behind. He could fight tens of men from other army regiments, having consumed many litres of the local brew. And he was proud of his reputation as the hard man, the man-mountain of his regiment. But then my cousin Edward had a strange vision which he described in very vague terms to his fellow soldiers and to his family. His fellow platoon members noticed a change in his demeanour as he slipped into the barracks chapel to talk with the Roman Catholic chaplain once or twice a week, going to Mass on Sunday and ending his drinking sprees. One morning, my cousin's barracks bunk was empty. He had left with the blessing of his commanding officer, determined to become a monk in the most austere order he could find. The Carthusians have one monastery in England, at Parkminster in the, in the southeast of the country, and they, more than any other order, live a life of silence, austerity and prayer. Every day is every bit as tough as life in an elite army regiment. And toughness and rigour comes into its own during Lent, during the great fast, which meant only one meal a day day of vegetables, bread and water. Edward, now renamed John, took on the lack of food, the increase in prayer, the short hours of sleep, the freezing temperatures in the monastery, as he had in the army, with abandon. As Lent moved on, the older monks fell away into the infirmary as their frail bodies were hit by the viruses eager to take advantage of their asceticism. John was the only monk left. And as the great bell rang out for the Easter vigil, John staggered out of the refectory for the chapel and he began to experience a familiar surge of pride and conquest. Instead of drinking all his army colleagues under the table at the local pub, now he had fasted all the monks under the table. <laughs> when he recounted this tale to my when I recounted this tale to my spiritual director, he asked casually, So what changed in John? I was forced to say after some thought, outside of a new haircut, 
new clothes and a change of address, not much. The motivations of the false self system in this then young man was still going strong. I would suggest to you that the real purpose of Lent is to confront the false self that each of us has. All of us can identify with St. Paul's words when he said, I cannot understand my own actions. I do not do what I want to do, but what I hate. That's as good a description of the false self as there is in sacred scripture. If we desire to change, we have to challenge the motivations often unconscious that influence our thinking and our behavior. The mystics down through the ages have understood that if we consent, God over time will dismantle our false self. No amount of good intentions to do things differently on our own will succeed. The mystics understood that to find God, one had to go before God in silence and permit the spirit to do its work on the false self. This, I believe, is the purpose of Lent. We are being challenged to deny ourselves take up our crosses and follow Jesus. We are being asked to take steps to deal with our false self. Alan Jones, formerly of Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, told the story about an English monk, H. H. Kelly, who founded an Episcopal religious community in a seminary. Kelly was known for his fierce insistence on the sovereignty and priority of God God is all in all. One day a student of his asked him, if God is really sovereign and does everything, why do we need to bother? According to Jones, Kelly offered the stunning reply, if you don't do something, you may miss your crucifixion. And that would be a pity. Stripping away the false self with all its ideas about success, esteem, affection, power and control is painful. It is this stripping away that is our crucifixion. This is the great misunderstanding about the contemplative way. That it's easy, quiet, gentle and sublime. I can tell you after ten years in the business... But it's not. It can feel like a slow crucifixion at times. It's like a recalibration of life. Of the cultural norms that are thrown up by our upbringing. Culture. Education. And social interactions. But the fruits of this thing called the true self. Free of all these pressures to conform, to be successful, to need power or security or, con- or constant affection. After the crucifixion, indeed, comes the resurrection. 
So in our gospel today, Jesus goes into the wilderness and is tempted by every facet of the false self, all of which he rejects. That is about this pas- what, what this passage is about, as far as I can tell. The devil says, I can give you everything that the world can give you. Dinners at Elway's. <laughs> a brand new luxury car with a bow wrapped around it from Stevenson Lexus. A beautiful Rocky Mountain ranch with skiing at Beaver Creek just 10 minutes away. Even healthcare coverage that will save your life at your whim. Or you can go back to that God of yours who merely offers something he vaguely calls eternal life. So I say to you today, as you choose some kind of spiritual path for Lent, ascetic or otherwise, don't miss your crucifixion. And the best way to do this is simply to consent in silence to God's presence and action within. So let's start today. Let's be aware and awake to God's presence here within us and and among us. There's no better time to do that than when we receive the bread and wine of the Eucharist. So once again, I suggest that you remove your shoes and even your socks as you walk forward to receive the host and the wine. I ask this every time I preach, by the way. (laughs) This is indeed holy ground upon which we walk. Be aware as you receive the bread and the wine that this is pure gift given to you. Be receptive and be open to this gift. As you sit back down, silently consent to God's presence and action within. If you do this constantly, time after time, the false self will simply melt away. And God's true purpose for your life will present itself. Albeit sometimes vaguely or even painfully. And the false self will simply have fallen away. It's called resurrection. Amen.